0: Now, if you feel like you're spending too much on your beauty routine, you need to know about Beauty Pie. Rosie and I have been members for months now and we love when our orders arrive.
1: Beauty Pie stocks high-quality skincare, haircare, makeup and more direct from the best labs in Switzerland, France, Germany and Japan for unbeatably low prices. There are no middlemen, no huge retailer markups, so you shop and get up to five times more for your money. It's just genius. And right
0: now, join Beauty Pie and use the code LKSENTME, all one word, in the promo code box at checkout and you will get £10 off your first order. Go to beautypie.com to find out more.
1: my name's Rosie and I'm Lorraine and this is what if the show that examines life's what if moment I guess it's all about those times when you find
0: yourself at a crossroads and you have to decide what path you're going to take
1: yeah and for every path you choose there's one or two that you might have decided to leave behind and how does this change and affect your life
0: yeah, because we've all had those moments, haven't we? Well, in this podcast, we'll be walking that unbeaten path with an incredible lineup of
1: celebrity guests asking them that all-important question, what if? This week, our guest is Michelle Visage, known all over the world as a judge on RuPaul's Drag Race.
0: And of course, she won fans here in the UK as a contestant on Celebrity Big Brother and Strictly Come Dancing.
1: So we're going to go back to your childhood when you were adopted. What was that like growing up? There's so many different ways that
2: adoption is handled. And so many parents have different ways of handling. Some parents don't want their children to know, which I think is horrendous. And then there's my parents who told me right from the start, I remember being only we and my mother... Giving me a cartoon book, like, I don't know what it was called, but it was something like You Are an Adopted Child. And it was like a cartoon children's book of what it was like being an adopted child, you know? And they always made adopted kids out to be the chosen ones because people chose us, they picked us, you know, instead of getting pregnant, (laughs) magically happening that way. So that was kind of the way I chose to believe it growing up that my parents chose me. He used to, my father used to make a really twisted joke about in America, especially in New Jersey where I was raised. They have, you know, the Jersey Shore and they have boardwalks down there with all the arcade games, carnival games and those big wheels that you spin. And My father always joked that he won me on a wheel. <laughs> yeah, I always grew up knowing it and it didn't really affect anything either way. I never thought it was different. I just thought it was a fact.
0: What I think is really interesting about you, Michelle, is that you were always kind of a bit cutting edge. Um, and maybe there was a little bit like you sort of when you went to New York, you really found your tribe, if you know what I mean. You know, yeah. you you found the people, you suddenly thought, oh, right, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. Nobody could have predicted that happening
2: because I was like this scrappy, lower middle class girl that grew up, you know, about 40, 45 minutes outside of the Lincoln Tunnel. And for those who don't know, the Lincoln Tunnel leads into New York City, goes into Manhattan when you're from New Jersey. and And, you know, I always grew up with big city dreams, but my family didn't have money to deliver those big city dreams. So, you know, I always wanted to be a singer and an actress and in my head, I always wanted to be a dancer, but it was never really good. So my parents would, you know, we didn't have the money to go into New York and have these big singing lessons and acting lessons. So my, I remember my parents, they both worked. I was a latchkey kid and they would do anything they could to barter. My mother was a really good barter and she would Hmm. somehow trade whatever for acting lessons and singing lessons. Like she taught sewing class and who knows what she did, but they somehow always worked a deal for me to have acting classes and singing classes. And again, not the top of the line. And I'm sure these people weren't even really good teachers, but I felt like I was a step ahead of everybody else. And then I auditioned for musical theater uni. That's where I went to theater school. And when I moved into New York City, I remember having three roommates in the dorms in New York. And in New York, the dorms aren't like a traditional dorm that you would go to at Oxford or Cambridge or any other uni. They were apartments in a very legendary hotel called the Beacon Hotel. And they were just transformed over to like, they gave us X amount of rooms to the school. And there were three girls in a one bedroom apartment. And we just had like single beds all over the flat. And that's kind of how we made it work. And then my mother said, you need to start going out to nightclubs because that's how you hear these big stories of all these movie stars and models and how they were discovered at the coffee shop or, you know, waitressing tables. But in my case, I didn't know anybody. My mother was from Brooklyn and scared the death out of me about going on the subway alone. Like I was afraid to go even further than a block radius of my school. Like I was so scared. Taking a taxi was very expensive back then. And, and mm. I didn't have a job because I was in school full time. So anyway, a week after I moved in, I got an envelope and I opened it. It was from my mother. And she said, now you have no excuses. And it was a fake ID <laughs> with a picture of my face that said University of Texas, which was hilarious of all places. But then not only did she send me a fake ID, she sent me a fake birth certificate because a lot of times you needed two forms of id she went to the trouble of doctoring a fake birth certificate that she had notarized by a notary <laughs> and with some money for a cab there and said now you have no excuse go
1: to wow. the palladium
2: go to these clubs go out there and work your magic and i thought oh my god all right that's what i'm gonna do and that's where it started i walked into a club i grabbed one of my roommates um from school and asked her to come with me and. That's where it all began for me in the ballroom scene and becoming a house, you know, a person of a house and getting involved in the LGBTQIA plus community happened that
0: week. Wow. So for people that don't know about the whole, um, the whole house thing, I mean, that's like when you find your family in a way. I mean, of course, you had your own family and your amazing mom and so supportive. But then you find it's almost like you find your tribe, don't you? You know, I was very lucky because not only did I have my
2: adopted family, which is for all intents and purposes for everybody listening, that's my family. That's my mom. That's my dad. That's my brother. But I also had my biological mother and my two biological half sisters that are now in my life. Both of my mothers are no longer on this earth. But then I moved to New York and I found my chosen family, which is my queer family. And for people who don't know what the Harlem ballroom scene is, is if you watch Pose, you'll learn a little bit about it, yeah. Um, But I was kind of like this girl who was, like I said at the beginning, an unlikely candidate for any of this, because I was like this cisgender, white, lower middle class girl who, you know, had something very different to what these kids had. And I was welcomed into a mostly Latinx family called House of Magnifique with Dominican and Puerto Rican kids who kind of were misfits like I was, because I was bullied in school I never really fit in people called me weird people made fun of me and you know it used to really really upset me and really bother me I think it took me until and Rosie listened to this because it took me until like my 40s to make peace hmm. with who I am and who I was and like you know it's interesting because I heard Frank Skinner say this the other day like I could be playing an arena with 20,000 people every seat filled and if I see one person who would you know look the other way or rather be watching paint dry than watching me That's the person who I focus my energy on. And sometimes I'm reminded of that on social media when I retweet a troll just to show. And I always, when I do it, I do it just to show people an eighth of what I get every day. Now I'm 52. I'm at an age where it doesn't bother me anymore. I've got my husband. I've got my beautiful children. I love my life. I've got my health, which is the most important thing and take care of my dad and all that stuff. But sometimes I want people to see how disgusting it is out there. So imagine if I wasn't confident, what a kid would feel like if they saw some of the stuff that people send to me. But I don't do it to give that person a platform. I do it to bring attention to how the hate's got to stop. But -hmm. then people will say, why are you giving them a platform? Why aren't you focusing on those of us that love you? And they're 100% right. So clearly, as worked through as I think I am, there's still a piece of that that lives on in me of wanting everybody to love me and everybody to accept me. And that's not reality. That's mm. not reality. So having a chosen family, like the house of Magnifique in, in New York city in 1987 was one of the most life-changing events for me. And the sliding doors moment of if I didn't go and my mother didn't send me that fake ID, I never would have gotten in. And I never would have met those people that changed my life.
1: I'd love to talk about this Madonna lookalike competition. (laughs) What was involved in that? Did you have to do a routine or dress up? Like
2: what happened? Yeah, there was a little bit of both. So Madonna, you know, it's one of those moments of being a weirdo and being a misfit and not feeling pretty because, you know, I spent my whole life of boys telling me how not pretty I was and how every boy I liked, not liking me, but liking my pretty friends. I grew up with that and there was a girl group, the first all-female band band. And they made it over here, but you, you're you very young. Lorraine will know who I'm talking about, Rosie, but you're too young to know about the Go-Go's. But <laughs> oh, the Go-Go's changed my life because Belinda Carlisle, who is the lead singer of the Go-Go's, would be out there kind of chubby with this short kind of spiky, really cool new wave hairdo in mini skirts, in really cool clothes. And I related to her because she was like so fearless. And here she was leading this all girl band and they were just, dominating the charts. And I thought, oh my goodness, look at her. And I would kind of dress like her. And that's where my dressing funky started. I think I was like 12 years old and I started wearing mini skirts and I would get white sneakers and I would hand paint like lightning bolts on them Mm -hmm. and really cool like things. And I would draw them myself and people would look at me and be like, you're weird. I would wear neon colors and dye my hair pink and purple. My mother hated it, but that's kind of how I was expressing myself. And then Madonna came out it was 1983, I believe. And it was like the Holy grail for me. So I went from Belinda to Madonna and Cindy Lauper, Touches Cindy Cyndi Lauper as well. But then when, when Madonna came out and I was like, that's what I want to look like. So I do want to still look a little bit like a freak, but I want to be able to look like a sexy freak. So I want to wear <laughs> a bra with lace clothing and my belly sticking out. Now my belly looked nothing like Madonna's belly and still doesn't look Madonna's belly, but at the same time, it was like so freeing to be a sexy, freaky weirdo like Madonna. So she became like not just my everything, but everybody's everything in that you know time frame. I would walk down the street with a big boombox on my shoulder, dressed like Madonna, singing Madonna songs. I started like my boyfriend was working um, at the we were down the shore again, and I would just walk the streets. It's so bizarre what I would. <laughs> I would walk the streets, dressed like Madonna, fully dressed like Madonna, bow in the hair, like the booze, like everything, singing Madonna songs, like borderline, a lucky star on my boom box. I would pull up to like these little tiki huts and booths that were selling like pizza and whatever. And I'd make friends with everybody and I'd sing for everybody. And it was so freaking weird. So then there was a big lookalike contest. And I think I was 16 at the time and I didn't lip sync. I sang, I dressed like her and, um, do you remember what song you sang? Lucky Star. And it wasn't a lot of money. It was just recognition. And it was like something that I'm proud of that will stay with me forever. But looking back, looking at myself, it was like, we did look alike, but I definitely tried to look like her because she was and always has been my, I have lots of idols for many different reasons, but She's done so much for women and for the gay community in and breaking down barriers for women in pop music that she's untouchable. She really is. And mom mm. will tell you she's she's like a once in a lifetime thing, like an Elvis, like a Marilyn Monroe, a Michael Jackson, a Whitney Houston. She's a one of a kind.
0: I wonder what if you hadn't won that competition, because obviously that must have given you a bit of confidence, I would have thought. You know, this this kid that wasn't that particularly confident, but you know, winning something like that and being told that you look like that woman who you absolutely adored has got to be a great thing, you know, for you personally. I definitely used it to my benefit. And here's the weird thing, Lorraine.
2: I didn't have confidence when it came to certain things, but I have the weirdest amount of confidence in places that I shouldn't. Like, (laughs) I had no, like, I'm an, I'm an okay singer. My voice is okay, but it's certainly not Mariah, Whitney, Pink. It's not that. But I've always had the balls to get up on stage and be like, oh, I can sing that, when I had no place <laughs> in singing that. But I always had the weirdest confidence. And, and even now, like, when I started breakfast show presenting on the radio, I had no experience At all, but I just knew that I could be better than anybody else out there. I was like, no, I know I can do this. I grew up listening to the radio. I'm obsessed with the radio. I know I can be better than any of those girls. And I just went for it. And I ended up having a 17 year career doing it. And I had no experience. Weirdly, I have a fake it till you make it attitude. And I think it's because I don't come from anything. I'm not privileged in the way that a Paris Hilton would be privileged and good for her you know I had to work for everything and I was the little kid you know I was like the little engine who could I was the little kid who (laughs) could who came from nothing parents didn't know anything about it but they were very supportive of me in the performing arts and that's all I ever wanted to do and that's all I ever wanted to be so confidence has weirdly been there but not rightfully deserved. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like that, though. And Rosie, you were dead interested in the, the band, weren't you, in the Gero band?
1: Yeah. I wanted to know if it was always the dream of being in a band or being on stage from studying musical theatre. Was that more what you wanted to do and then this sort of just happened? Or was it, you know, what what if it was the other way around?
2: I was always driven by performing. I don't want to just say singing because acting as well. I remember nobody knew that about me. And I would sit in my house. And like I said, I had friends, but they were cool girls. So like if they were doing cool girl things, I wasn't invited. And it was very hurtful. Actually, I would be the one that would be bullied at the sleepovers. I was the one who would be the butt of everybody's joke. And I just took it all red faced because I didn't know I can stand up for myself. So many a night was spent home listening to musical theater records and growing up um, in my household, my parents weren't very musically driven. They were Jewish. So there were Barbra Streisand records. There were, uh, Neil Diamond records. There were Johnny Mathis records, but there, um, were not, they had no music, no tone, no pitch. My parents could not sing, nor would you ever want to hear them sing. So I remember the first record I ever found was the soundtrack to the cast recording of West Side Story. And I remember learning it from the overture to the finale. Every, Every single instrument, every single beat, every inflection, every idiom, every little thing I learned. And that's kind of how that started my love of musical theater. Then, of course, Annie and, and so many other theater things came out. But then I got into Donna Summer and then I got into the Go Go's and all these other people that made me realize oh, maybe I want to do this too. So, to answer your question, there was no kind of opportunity or option for me to go to school for music apart from being an opera singer and learning about music theory, which I've done and I hate, or theater. So I, I, I couldn't be, there was no college for how to be a rock star. So I would focus on my voice and sing what I loved. I sang with a cover band. And I remember getting into that band and you know, I'd been doing plays and musicals and then I had an audition for this rock band and we were called White Lightning. It was me and four boys and I would sing the, the male vocals as well. So not only would I sing the girl stuff, but I would sing the Boston and, and the Kansas and even Michael Jackson. And you know, I just, I did what I had to do to keep singing and keep performing. So did I wanna be a pop star? A hundred percent. I just didn't know how. So when the opportunity came to audition for seduction, how that happened was I was working as a secretary in New York, I would graduated from uni and I was auditioning for Broadway stuff. And I answered the phones, I was a receptionist and my best friend called me and she's like, oh my God, I just got into this girl group and and they're doing an interracial girl group. And she was Puerto Rican. And I said, well, do they need a white girl? And she was like, well, no, they have one. I said, well, can I have their number? I'm gonna call them because they don't have me. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I mean. Like the confidence, where does that come from? I didn't want to miss that opportunity. And she fought me and she was like, no, I'm not going to look like an idiot. I'm not going to give you their phone number. Begged her. I don't know how I begged her, but I begged her. She gave me the number I called and I, and it was their management. And I said, listen, this is who I am. I am a singer. I'm a pop star. And they said, well, we have somebody. And I said, but you don't have me. Let me come in and sing for you. If you don't like the way that I look and the way that I sound, by all means, I don't get the audition, which I've been auditioning my whole life. So I know, you know, I don't get some of them. Mm. So they said, okay, I went in, I sang for them and I got the gig. So weird. So weird. Should not in any other world should not have happened. Mm. But because my weird confidence in things that I sometimes didn't even know if I could deliver, I got in there.
0: It's remarkable, isn't it? I mean, what if you hadn't had that, or you hadn't had that drive and that knowledge to know that actually I can do this, I can do this, I just need that opportunity to get in there. It is remarkable and good for you, good for you, because, you know, there's a lot of people that would have maybe given up.
2: It's such a catch-22 in this industry. I don't know if you've battled this, because I don't know the history, Lorraine, but in my case as an actor, people don't know me as an actor yet, because I haven't found an agent that will push me as an actor because I don't have tape. I don't have experience. I do lo- lots of theater, but nobody has tape. Nobody has a recording of me on stage to show that I can act. So I keep saying to my agents in America, I want to do scripted stuff. I want to act. I'm, also, why haven't I gotten a call to you know fill in on one of the shows presenting? you know That type of thing. I am so good at what I do and I know it. And just like you, I'm sure when you started, it was like, well, how do I get experience if somebody's not giving me it? I have to be able to prove myself in order for them to go, oh my God. So that's, it's still, as long as I've been doing this, I started in the music industry when I was 19. I started breakfast radio when I was 26. I'm 52. I've done nothing but work that way for this whole time. I'm very lucky. But at the end of the day, I know what I can do. But if you don't get the opportunity to do it, you can't prove yourself. And herein lies the frustration, even in this country. Being in this country in the UK has meant as much to me, if not more, than doing it in America. Because I love this country so much. And and I know my husband and I will end up here full time when the girls are out of uni. But it's taken six years for people to go, oh, she's something other than just a judge on RuPaul's Drag Race. Hmm. She can Mm -hmm. present. She can do that. And it's like, yeah. I've been telling you this. Let me, tr- let me show you if you don't like it, so be it. And Rosie, hear that because it's such a catch 22. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. You, yeah. If you don't get the opportunity to do it, you can't prove yourself. And a lot of times what happens is people give up. So stick with it is such a big, yes, luck is a big part of this industry. Talent is a big part, but you can have all the talent. You can have gobs and gobs of talent If you're not given an opportunity, that talent will never be seen or heard. So it's sticking with it long enough for somebody to give you that chance. And then that's where your confidence gets to kick in. And that's where you get to show, I can deliver.
1: You know, it's been a really hard year and sometimes we just need to treat ourselves, which is why we love Beauty Pie. It's a new shopping club created for beauty and product lovers by the women behind Fit Flop Sandals and Bliss Spa and Soap and & Glory.
0: At Beauty Pie, members can shop for fabulously luxurious beauty and wellness products at straight from the warehouse prices. It feels like a splurge, but you're getting a steal. Check it out at beautypie.com. And use the promo code LKSENTME, all one word, to get £10 off your first order
1: when you join. And we do have to talk about Drag Race. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and am I right in saying that you almost didn't get the chance to be on the show, that you went over your boss's head a little bit? I'm just wondering if you, if you hadn't done that. <laughs> I,
2: well, if I didn't do it, I wouldn't be a part of it. You know, it was um, series one. I was living in Florida, so now... When you do breakfast show presenting on the radio, now it might be a little bit different here, but probably not. For example, you'll wake up one morning and your favorite morning show is gone and there's a new person on and you're saying, wait a minute, what happened? And they don't tell you. Mm. They don't give people in radio the opportunity to say, this is my last show, I'm leaving in America. I don't know how it is here. But being on the radio there is very much like being in the military you sign a one year, two year contract. And after the contract's up, you don't know if you're getting rehired. And if you're not, you're going to have to move to where the job is. So we did that for 17 years. And the last radio contract that I took, I was in New York and they changed the format of the radio station. And I got an offer to do a five year deal in Florida. And it's like five years. That's unheard of. A five-year deal? Are you kidding me? And it was broken up into two years, two years, and one year where they get to choose the option to renew me. And I'm getting technical for a reason. So I was so (laughs) excited because my babies were young. My daughters were very young when we moved down there. I'm talking like nursery and Mm. first grade or something like that. So she would have been like six or seven. So um, when we moved down there, the kids were in school and I get a phone call. And it's like, I was three quarters of the way through my first year of a five-year deal. Now, keep in mind that I'm the only one who works in the family. I'm the sole mm-hmm. breadwinner for a family of four. My husband's a stay-at-home dad and he's an incredible stay-at-home dad. But I get up every morning at 3 a.m. I go to the radio, radio station for 4.30. We go on the air at 5.30. This you know, I went through this with pregnancies, everything. It's just what I've done, what we did. So they call World Wonder, the production company that does RuPaul's Drag Race, I'm sitting outside of my daughter's tutor, she's in a math tutor session, and I'm sitting in the parking lot in the driveway waiting, and I got a call, and basically they asked me if I can take two weeks off, they've got this new concept, it's called RuPaul's Drag Race, they told me what it was, I was like, oh my goodness, this is so fun. So I went to the boss and it wasn't the boss that hired me. It was a new boss. And I asked him and he immediately said, no, you, you can't because you don't get, you get two weeks off in radio in America and they can't be together. So you get wow. one in the summer, one in the winter. That's all you get. Wow. Even with <laughs> even with pregnancies, I got one week off for each pregnancy and I had C-sections. Don't even ask. <gasps> um, Yikes. Yeah, one, one week, one week.
0: That's absolutely crazy
2: abominable so the uh I went to the boss and I said um this is what I want to do this is what it's called and he said absolutely not and I said what what we didn't even think about it he said no this would not be a good look for our radio station and I it didn't dawn on me and I sat there for a few minutes thinking what does he mean by a good look good look and I looked at him and I said oh my god you're a homophobe you're homophobic oh my goodness I'm just realizing this now and, and here I was trapped in this contract. And I said to, I had to call World of Wonder. I had to call Rue and he wouldn't let me do it. And that was for series one. And he made a note of telling me if I went ahead and did it, they would fire me and hold me financially responsible for the four years left in the deal.
0: Wow.
2: Right. So, so then when series three came around and they asked me again, because Rue was missing me, because it was initially conceived with me next to him, he said no again. So my friend, who's an actress called Leah Remini, I went to her because she was on TV on a show called King of Queens, and I oh, said, "Oh yeah, 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 you know who she is." They, show yeah, it. of course, of course they do. And I told her, and she's my best friend back home, and she said, "Listen, Michelle, I don't care who you are, they don't drop TV shows in people's laps." The fact that you're not taking it is beyond me. So she goes, if you don't call the president of CBS radio, I'm (laughs) going to call the president of CBS radio on your behalf. And I said, no, mom, you can't just call up and say, I'm calling for Michelle. They have no idea who I am. She goes, Michelle, you're on one of their radio stations. They know who you are. So she forced my hand and I did it. I called the vice president of the company. He said, absolutely. I told him the boss told him he's homophobic and I told him what happened. And he said, um, I'm sorry to hear that, absolutely do it. So I was able to then come and that boss ended up getting fired and I don't believe it was for that, but I think that might've Mm -hmm. been the last nail in the coffin.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, The interesting thing was after doing two seasons of it, they didn't re-up my fifth year of the contract, but that was a blessing in disguise. All of it worked out the way it was supposed to, but I had to go above to get there. And it was the best decision I ever made because just like you said if I didn't go to the boss and I just sat back and took it I wouldn't be a part of this amazing amazing experience like this is a legacy and I wouldn't Mm. be a part of it Yeah,
0: that is a real what if moment and and actually good for you good for you isn't it strange sometimes you get that sort of feeling I, I remember I was told by BBC Scotland believe it or not that I would never make it on television because of my accent Yep And the very next day I phoned up because I heard there was a job going at breakfast television at TVAM and I phoned up the boss I, I just phoned up. How I mean, his
1: number, though? I, I phoned the switchboard and said,
0: I'm, he's expecting my call. <laughs> <laughs> and I spoke to him and said, can I come down in addition for you? And it was that, I don't think I could do that now, Michelle. I honestly don't think weird? I could do that mm. now, Rosie. I don't think I would have the balls to do that now. We become
2: so self-conscious, Lorraine, yeah. especially as women. I don't know if you were like me and people will not believe this listening. I do not like to ruffle feathers. No, I don't either. Like, I don't like to buck the system. If somebody says like, it's even hard for me to negotiate contracts because I'm like, no, just do what they want because I want this job. I don't want to piss people off. My friend Leah will be like, I'm not doing it. Goodbye. Move on. Get somebody else. And I'm like, are you crazy? (laughs) Me? I'm like, no, I'll do it. Can we just do like, I'm not one to buck the system. It's taken a lot the past three, four years of my life to really fight for what's right for me, nothing more than is deserved. Nothing Mm. more. I'm not asking for anything crazy. I'm not a diva by any means, but I even have a hard time asking for something that is rightfully, obviously, mine and should mm. be mine.
0: Are you like that too? Oh absolutely and I keep my head down a lot. You know I've been through an awful lot of regime changes and and the jobs that I've done over the years but I do tend to just keep my head down and sometimes that works sometimes it does but there does come a point when you know you do have to sometimes take a take a stand um, and you're right about things working out. I mean I remember and Rosie you won't remember because you weren't even alive. And um, you do
1: say oh do you remember when this happened? I'm like no I was one. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: know, I know, I know. Every time, I know. But after Rosie was born, I basically didn't get my contract renewed. I mean, the the boss just phoned up and said, "I'm sorry, we've got someone else." And you were a teeny tiny wee baby, and that was. Really I remember, was, yeah, yeah, was yeah I'm yesterday. sure you do. <laughs> But sometimes, sometimes things work out because it ended up that I ended up getting my own show rather than, you know, you know fine well what it's like, as you've said, you know, getting up at three in the morning. and um, But I ended up getting my own show. That was like 26 years ago. So it actually worked out really well. So sometimes things really can you know it it can actually be the best thing at the time you think oh no Um, and I'm sure at the time you thought oh I'm not going to be able to do this amazing show and of course back then you didn't know what a global phenomenon the drag race was going to be and really what I love about it is it's gone from being a niche show to something that everybody watches now don't Mm. they yeah I mean you you know you're the same you you love to watch it don't
1: Mm -hmm. you yeah I've always loved it
0: ah it's just it's just got such heart hasn't
1: it I remember when you couldn't get all Stars on Netflix. Right. So I'd have to watch it on YouTube. Right. And then, like, stream it onto my TV. <laughs>
0: there are always ways. There's always ways. <laughs> there's always ways of doing that. <laughs> but you girl. you and Rue have got a brilliant friendship. I mean, you can tell that. The way that you... you it's only a very, very good friend that can insult you like that. And, you know, you give back as good as you get. But that's when, you know, that's when you really... There's love and trust there. And it just comes across really well.
2: Yeah, so much, you know, it's such an honor to be able to work with your best friend, you know, growing up, my mother always said it's either going to work or it's not when you work or when you go into business with your best friend or you live with your best friend, it's always a dangerous situation, because you don't know what could happen, you could end Mm -hmm. up really just falling apart and never talking to each other again. Or it could be the best thing that ever happened to you. In our case, when Rue brought me on as his sidekick on the original RuPaul show, which was back in 1996, we just knew right then it was a match made in heaven. So we'd go from doing the morning show together, then we'd get in a car together, we'd laugh the whole way there, then we'd get to filming the television show. Rue and I, when we were filming the television show in 96 and 97, we shared a dressing room. And we would have like a little common area and we would just have little hummus and snacks and we'd come out and laugh and then go back into our little makeup area. So we've done so much together and we just understand each other. We know where each other is coming from. We know the intention of each other. It's just a beautiful once in a lifetime kind of relationship it's 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 a soulmate kind of thing and Rue is just a a one-of-a-kind he's up there with the Madonnas and the Michael Jacksons and he's just so special and we're so lucky that we're living in the time where we get to watch Rue be Rue and it's pretty amazing
0: I've never seen a more beautiful looking human being either in or out of drag I mean it's I know astonishing disgusting actually it's (laughs) It's very annoying (laughs) <laughs> Very annoying. I'll sit next to him and I'm,
2: I'm, you know, I'm an inch away and I've been looking at his face for 30 years and it's like, unbelievable. Unbelievable. It really is. And he's a beautiful man as well. So it's like mm. you sit there looking and you say, well, that's why he looks like this and drag because he is
1: stunning. We end each episode by getting guests to tell us their biggest fail, regret and win. Um, So we're just wondering what yours are i think
2: if i were to do life again in this body i would be kinder to myself i would be kinder to my body i wouldn't beat myself up i wouldn't look in the mirror and tell myself how ugly i am how fat i am you know how boys don't like me i'd look in the mirror and start saying you know what you look good you know i have to do that now i have to look in the mirror at 52 i had two c-sections my belly i know i have a belly it is what it is but guess what my daughters came out of that belly we have to turn things around. Nobody's going to turn it around for us. We need to stand by each other. You know, I think Lorraine, you are an incredible woman. You are strong. I love what you do. I think your sense of humor is top notch. I think the way you present your show is fantastic. I think everything about you is, you know, role modelish, whether you want it or not. I think you're wonderful. And I think you're a regular woman. I think you don't give false pretense. And that's what I admire about you. And that's what I model myself after. I want to be that woman I want to be the who's a regular woman who women can feel comfortable around and feel like they can get strength
0: that's we need to do some kind of summit for women I think <laughs> so I think and we all have to do that you know it's all about supporting and all of that and we've adopted you here in the UK Aww, so I'm, I'm, I'm very <laughs> so I'm very I'm very glad that you eventually will end up here which is fantastic so yeah so thank you and, and I hope to see you really soon Michelle it's been lovely thank you so much
1: Cheers. thank you, thank you. Thank you. lovely
0: Before we go, one more word about the disruptive new Beauty Buyers Club that's become, well, a little bit of an obsession for Rosie and me. It's Beauty Pie.
1: Thousands of people are already enjoying getting up to five times more health and beauty products for their money. The prices are so low, they make the beauty industry blush. Imagine being able to buy a super expensive Swiss anti-aging face cream for only £16. Or our famous dermatologist's favourite retinol serum for under £17.
0: Just join and you'll get insider prices on the best beauty products every time you shop. And don't forget to use the promo code LKSENTME, all one word, to get £10 off your first
1: order when you join.